All right. Welcome once again to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Aspel, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's hey, up, Corey? Todd? Uh, not too much. And we've got with us tonight uh, or today, uh, State Senator Ann Milner, who is in uh, Senate leadership. What is your position, Ann? Majority whip. Majority whip. So she's the one that whips us if we don't vote right. So, <laughs> And Corey, I thought we'd start off. Um, Senator Milner was the sponsor of the resolution um, on Thursday that censured Natalie Klein, uh, who's a member of the state school board. Um, do you mind telling us about that, Senator Milner? Um, well, that the Natalie Klein incident uh, with the post that she put up and then withdrew caused lots of consternation among students and parents and uh, school personnel. Um, they felt that um, she had targeted a young person and she was somebody in a place of responsibility and that no one that was in a place of responsibility with kids um, should be doing something that could be seen as bullying a child and that we all should be very careful about being respectful and of all of our children. And our goal is to help them all succeed. And so the, there was a lot of discussion about what the right approach um, in terms of um, really making sure that, that everyone understood we were taking it seriously and there was a real concern. So the House sponsored uh, the censure and then I co-sponsored the censure in the Senate. And the Senate, everyone voted in favor of the censure. I think because they felt like it's important to send a message that any of us, and I think because of, of having that responsibility as a school board member, I mean, you would think of, if you think about a teacher, you think about a principal, you think about anybody in an administrative role at um, a school, we would have expectations that they would they would never do something like that to a, a young woman or man, and that we needed to make sure that um, people understood it was unacceptable. So I, I, that's kind of a long explanation, but I, I think it's just important. I mean, what I said to people is, what if it were your child? How would you feel? Yeah. And um, clearly the, the parents were very upset. The child was upset. Her teammates were upset. And I think the school, a lot of the members in the school were upset. So um, it just the ripple effects were significant. So, Corey, for our any viewers, our listeners that didn't um, see the post, uh, what she did was she reposted something from the school um, that showed the girls' basketball team, and then she put in brackets um, constitutionally protected speech, and then all she wrote was girls' basketball dot dot dot. But there was one member of, of that team that uh, apparently Ms. Klein felt looked uh, didn't look feminine enough or looked a little bit masculine. And so the clear inference of what she was saying was that, you know, one of these players was not a girl. 
And first of all, she was wrong. They were all biological women. None of them were transgender. But second of all, even if she hadn't been wrong, this student is, you know, a sophomore, I believe, 15 or 16 years old. And even if they were trans, you know, here, you know, we've been working as a legislature for the last two sessions on trying to put guideposts up on social media so that kids can't be, so it can't be used to bully kids. And now we have a state school board member who's ostensibly bullying a child. Um, you know, it's a, it's a high school student, but, but a minor. And then if you read the dozens and dozens of posts, um, they were, they were horrific, you know, ostracizing this, um, this child based on, you know, it, it was, it was, uh, you know, shaming this child for the looks and, even when it came out, you know, from the parents and others that this this is a biological female playing a female sport, people are like, oh, they're lying. And, you know, it's 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 clear instance of body shaming. Um, and so the legislature, the, the state school board took an action. They've stripped her from her committees and they've um, done as much punishment as a state school board can because Natalie Klein is an elected official and she's running for reelection right now. And the legislature chose to censure her and condemn her for, 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 for this online bullying. And now the legislature is being um, criticized because we didn't impeach her. Um, Senator Miller, do you have any thoughts on why the, the House didn't want to start with an impeachment as opposed to a censure? Uh, I think an impeachment is a much longer process. And uh, censure was something that we could do that would show everybody right now that we uh, had, we condemned what she did and didn't think it was appropriate. And if you go through an impeachment process, that is a much longer process um, that requires committees, et cetera, in order to do a full investigation and uh, everything else. And I just think people felt like um, swifter action was important here. Yeah. And so, Corey, what I think it's important for people to know is in the history of the Utah legislature, there's never been an impeachment. Now, we can impeach a judge. We can impeach an attorney general. Uh, we can impeach, you know, other officers, including um, state school board members. But in the whole history of our state, it's never been done once. And so one of the things I would have been concerned about is if we were going to do this as the first impeachment, that we did it correctly um, when there was some discussion about potentially impeaching John Swallow. We hired an outside counsel. We spent $3 million on a six month or eight month investigation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, you know, I was listening to um, another podcast where someone who's never served in legislature said, oh, the legislature completely failed. They should have just uh, impeached her in one day. And, you know, that that's not something you want to set a precedent on in one day. And and, and interestingly, the, the the county and state conventions are coming up in the next two months, I believe had we chosen an impeachment, um, it would have probably been something that drug out more than two months from now. And so I think it's probably better off since she does have Republican and uh, Democratic opponents to just condemn and censure her and let the let the delegates and the voters make a, a final decision. The other thing, Anne, that I've been reminding people, and I'm not trying to build a false hope or false promise, but there's nothing to stop the legislature from impeaching her now that she's been censured, if there is continued, you know, uh, problems, um, this is not the first time she's been called out for a Facebook post. But I think this is the first time, you know, that it's been bullying a, a child, um, essentially. Right. Um, but there's nothing to stop her from being impeached in the future by the legislature. 
No, there's not. And particularly if there were another incident, I, I think the other side of this is the voters will make a decision. And that's, that's an important decision for voters to make in this process. And finally, this is the first time anyone has ever been censured by right. the legislature. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, um, so this is not, uh, this is pretty historic and uh, we've, we have never done, or the legislature has never done that in its history. That we that we that we can find, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that we can find. So I I think that tells you that that was a very serious step. Um, may not be. Um, I don't think people understand the, the how much goes into an impeachment process and kind of expense and time. And as Todd says, we would be having to make sure we were doing it in the right way um, because we would be actually creating the process for future impeachment processes as well. And this um, resolution that was a censure and a condemnation, Corey, it passed unanimously in the Senate. It passed in the House with only two no votes, one Republican, Phil Lyman, and one Democrat was, I think, Brett right. Garner. Um, um, I think, I, I don't want to speak for the, any of these individuals, but I understand the Democrat who voted no thought that it was, it wasn't, it wasn't impeachment. So he voted no. And I think um, Phil Lyman, uh, I'm just guessing that he thought that the censure was, was too much and it was overkill. Um, and then, so unanimously in the Senate, every, every Senator voted 29 to zero, uh, all Republicans, all Democrats voted uh, in favor of it. And then it was signed by the governor, from what I understand. This all happened Thursday afternoon, and we waited until after the state school board took their action on Wednesday. And so all of this happened within a week of um, the post going up. And again, um, if we would have done an impeachment, there was some concern, Corey, that this would have drawn national attention and that this girl's image would have been broadcast all over the news for weeks, if not months, and brought more, you know, um, consternation and agony to this family. The family did say that they would prefer impeachment. So I think that was one factor, but I'm not sure that they knew exactly, you know, once you start that process, mm -hmm. you know, you can't necessarily control what the narrative is. And I, I will just speak for myself. I think, um, like uh, Phil Lyman, some people thought the legislature was going too harsh with just a censure. If we had done an impeachment, people might have rallied around her and said, oh, well, what she did was wrong, but it doesn't warrant an impeachment. And it could have actually had a backlash and kind of given her maybe, um, you know, victim status or, or um, you know, made her into some type of uh, folk hero. And the last thing we wanted to do was, you know, give her extra name ID and publicity that to drag out all summer long as she's running for re-election. I don't know if you have any thoughts on either of those points, Anne. Uh, I, I think that this was something we could do quickly that really demonstrated um, that the legislature took it seriously. There were some long and hard conversations around this and the right thing to do. I know the House had, uh, at least the Speaker had uh, conversations both with Natalie as well as uh, this young girl's parents. So uh, people tried to listen to to both of them uh, all or all of the people that were involved in this. 
but really wanted to be able to take some swift action so that it was clear um, how we felt about it. And yeah. And I think one part of what would have happened is that if we had started that process, then we would have probably focused our work on finishing up the budget in the next two weeks because we have to do that. It's constitutionally mandated. And this process would, have, as Todd said, been dragging into conventions. And that would not have been good for anyone. Um, because people would have felt like then it was look it looked political, and that's not how an impeachment should look. It should look, I mean, it should be something that is a legitimate process uh, when someone kind of um, steps over uh, the line uh, in terms of serving in office. But it still needs to be a thoughtful process in which um, everyone is um, has the opportunity to get their case out on the table. So if you're going to do that and you're going to do it right, it's going to take time. Yeah. The last thing I'm going to say is on the federal level, the, the standard for impeachment is high crimes and misdemeanors. And both the word crime and misdemeanor kind of has a criminal feel to it. You know, when the the when the House impeached Bill Clinton back in the 90s, you know, th there was an allegation that he had committed uh, perjury, uh, which, you know, can be a crime. And, you know, the Trump impeachments, I think, were very political. Uh, but there were some allegations that maybe he had broken a law here. Um, Natalie Klein's speech, while I'm not defending it, um, it's protected by the First Amendment. And nobody was suggesting that she committed a crime. What she did was certainly, I think, um, indefensible and deplorable, but nobody's saying that she was guilty of a crime. And so I think that's another reason why, um, you know, the legislature didn't rush into an impeachment. Well, Anne, thank you so much for your time. And um, I hope you're enjoying your, your presidential holiday weekend before we get into the final stretch of the last uh, 10 days of the legislature. So um, uh, two more weeks, right? Um, yeah, I guess nine days. Yes, yeah. it is. Okay. We'll see we'll right. see you on Tuesday. Thanks, Anne. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye. So Todd, just a couple of quick thoughts here on this, because I've you've you've probably heard more from the folks who were saying he, she should have been impeached. I've probably heard more from the folks saying this is overblown, that she apologized, that what's the big deal? You know, this was a uh, a common mistake. And I've had this conversation a lot of times because she's Natalie Klein has a lot of fans and a lot of folks who just really support what she does. And I, I to be honest with you, I, I haven't followed her close enough to know, but, um, but I, I, yeah, I take their word for it that, uh, that she's, she's done some good stuff, but I think what's missing here is you made the point that it wasn't a crime and several people have made that point to me. And, and, and that's true. It's, it's not a crime, but it is a tort. <laughs> So, uh, meaning is defamation probably, and I would, I guess if I were her, I would probably be a little worried right now that, you know, she's not going to go to jail, but I would be a little worried that, um, you know, that there's the family's going to bring a defamation suit. And I think that that's, that's something to worry about a lot because, yeah. um, you know, she's put herself in a, in a tough situation. And so I, I guess I would say to my friends, um, we can, you know, you can be supportive of some stuff she's done while at the same time recognizing like this is probably not the time to defend, you know, certain types of behavior that's, 
you know, if that was my daughter, I, I would come. I mean, I'd just be honest with you. I would come completely unhinged if somebody yeah. did that to my daughter. So, well, and um, it was fascinating from a political standpoint only. It was fascinating to watch because in the first 24 to 48 hours, um, most of her supporters ran from her. And then after a national commentator kind of came to her defense, they her supporters started running back to her. Mm, yeah. And now now they're kind of fiercely defending her. Um, and I, I will say this, Corey, I've never met Natalie Klein. I've never talked to her. Um, I don't think I don't know that I've ever been in the same room with her. Maybe at a state convention I have been. But um, I know several people um, who have talked to her in the past week and or 10 days since this happened and all of them have told me she is not repentant um in fact um she met with house leadership um in the legislature and basically apologized and i i wasn't there and i haven't seen the letter but then a few hours later or the next day she sent a letter pretty much retracting her apology and i know two legislators personally who have spoken to her who have both said she is very defiant and she is not apologetic at all for what what she did and so, um, you know, I, I think one thing that a jury looks for in a trial, like a criminal trial or a judge looks for in sentencing is, is an element of remorse. And all of the information I had was a legislature was that remorse was very much so lacking in Natalie Klein. And I think that did play into the decision to issue a formal um, censure. Interesting. And yeah, and I, uh, again, like in a civil suit where she's going to be sued for money in a, in a tort civil suit. I'm not sure she's going to get a sympathetic jury or a sympathetic judge. Yeah, <laughs> so. I'm, I'm on your side on that one. So, <laughs> All right, Todd. Um, our second guest today is basically Todd Weiler, Senator Weiler from the great city of North Salt Lake. So we want to hear what have you been up to? You haven't, you're not leading the team in bills this year like you normally no, do. But, I, I've uh, made a conscious effort the last couple of years not to be out front because the times I have been number one and the most bills passed, um, I've always felt like there's a bit of a target on my back. So that that has not been unintentional on my part, but I am still running some bills. Let me tell you about a couple of them. Um, I'm running a Religious Freedom Restoration Act bill. It's a Senate Bill 104. And in, um, in 1991 or 1992, the U.S. Supreme Court, they issued a ruling and, and there was a government regulation. I don't remember the fact pattern exactly, but there was a government regulation and it, it inadvertently infringed on someone's sincerely held religious rights. And the U.S. Supreme Court basically ruled, yeah, well, as long as that wasn't what the state was intending, that, as long as that wasn't, you know, the government's intention, you know, some people are going to get their religious rights, rights stepped on. Well, a lot of people were unhappy with that decision. And as a result of that, in 1993, um, two senators who are no longer with us, uh, Republican Orrin Hatch from Utah and, and Democrat Ted Kennedy from, from Massachusetts, they teamed up and they passed the Religious uh, Restoration, I'm sorry, the Religious Freedom and Restoration Act, or RFRA, R-F-R-A. And it passed, and, and this is this just blows my mind 31 years later. This passed the U.S. House of Representatives unanimously, and it passed the Senate with only two senators voting no. Um, and so RIFRA became law on the federal level. And, and, and then in 1997, 
the U.S. Supreme Court, they upheld the RFRA, but they said it only applies to federal laws, not to state laws. And so after 1997, a number of states started passing what are generally referred to as many RFRAs. We've had at least 24 states do that in legislation, and another 10 or 11 states have enshrined religious freedom protections into their state constitutions. Well, I was surprised to find out recently that Utah was one of the 15 states that did not have yeah. uh, a RFRA. And so um, um, so I, I ran one, and it's passed the Senate unanimously. I've worked very hard on it. I've worked with attorneys um, inside Utah and outside of Utah. There's a Professor Robin Wilson from the University of Illinois Law School that's kind of an expert on that. She actually flew out yeah. and worked with me on the language and met with stakeholders with me. We've been trying to balance it so we're not undoing any of the uh, balancing that we've had on some LGBT-related issues. Um, and you might think, uh, some people might think, oh, well, this is Utah. This must be a Mormon thing, if you will. And let me tell you, RIFRAs are designed to protect religious minorities. So let me just give you two examples. Let's say you had, um, so anyone that knows anything about Muslim women would know that they would not be comfortable if they if they were you know religious they would not be comfortable or they would not be willing to appear in a swimming suit if there was anyone pre any man present that was not that they were not married to they, they just wouldn't do it and so let's say you wanted to have a pool and you had an hour set aside where you know what, what, you know a modesty hour let's you say let's say and somebody sued and said well that's discrimination um this type of law on the state level would would say that um, if the government was going to overrule someone's sincerely held religious beliefs, they would have to jump over the highest constitutional burden, which we call strict scrutiny. Um, otherwise, the government would lose. A another example would be, let's say for some odd reason um, in the future, the Utah driver's license division said, you can only renew your driver's license in person and you can only do it on Saturdays from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Well, that would create a problem for Orthodox Jews and for Seventh-day Adventists. Mm. And so if Utah theoretically adopted some law like that and you had a lawsuit saying, hey, I'm Orthodox Jew or I'm Seventh-day Adventist or, or, or they combined and sued together, the government, again, would have a very high hurdle to jump over to show why it, there's no less restrictive way for people to renew their driver's license. And I would expect with this constitutional standard, the government would lose. And so th this is, and I, we could go on and on, but this is designed to protect the minority religious rights. And, and you know, you can't just say, well, my religion is I have to drive at least 100 hour, uh, miles an hour, or my religion is I, I, I hate minority, you know, people with, you know, without white skin color. That, that would not survive that constitutional scrutiny. And so that's Senate Bill 104. Um, I passed um, a bill. Most of my bills have passed through the Senate. Let me tell you one that's passed all the way through the House as well. And that is, I think we talked about this earlier, but Utah County during COVID, they started performing all online marriages, all virtual marriages. And this has become extremely popular in Israel. I don't know if you knew this, but when Israel became a country some seven or eight decades ago, um, they struck a deal where only the Orthodox Jews could perform the weddings. So anyone that doesn't meet their standards has to leave the country of Israel, go to another country and get married and then come back and then Israel... Mm -hmm. Will recognize it. Well, during COVID, Amelia Powers Gardner was the Utah County Clerk, and she came up with this bright idea that 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 she would they would perform all virtual marriages, 
And so two people in Australia could get married in Utah. Two people in Israel could get married in Utah without leaving home. They just log on and do it. And, and most people are familiar that like someone in the military might be able to get married, you know, by proxy, you know, if they were in Afghanistan or Iran, for example, uh, uh, well, or, you know, whatever. And so that, that uh, Iraq is what I meant to say, but so that's probably not a, a new concept, but um, when the county clerk started doing this, we didn't have any guardrails. And so I learned through uh, my law firm practice that there was a plural marriage performed from a Middle Eastern country in Utah mm. County. There was concerns that there could be child marriages because some people were doing the marriages with a power of attorney. And so my bill just basically put up some guardrails to make sure um, we weren't performing plural and uh, child marriages through an all virtual means. I was quoted in the Deseret News as saying, I don't mind if Utah becomes the Las Vegas of virtual marriages. But I don't want Utah to be the Las Vegas of plural or child. You're <laughs> um, here. So, so that's been, uh, those have probably been the two bills that I'm running that have, have received the most um, uh, media coverage. Um, I don't know if you have any questions on about either one of those. No, that's good stuff. I didn't realize that Utah didn't have a RIFRA and, and that's great. So good. Yeah. There we go. Good work. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some other bills, but um um, most of them are boring. Most of what we do at the legislature, unfortunately, is boring. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, there's some exciting stuff. Let me just end by telling you, um, we had a fun debate last week. Um, Dr. Plum, who's a Utah Democrat senator, she's running a, a bill that will um, outlaw all, almost all of the vaping flavors in Utah, which are very popular among teens. But like Swig, uh, adults like flavors too. <laughs> you know, Swig. You know, for for our Diet Coke and our Coke Zero and our and all of that. And so I ran a. I, I knew it was kind of a fool's errand, but I thought it was a discussion worth having. And I said, look at, you know, kids like beer. We're not going to outlaw beer because kids drink beer. I mean, you know, kids like a lot of things that you know that that are le is legal for adults. You know, pornography is another one, and uh, all, all kinds of all of the vices. And so I said, you know, I think this is bad precedent that we're going to outlaw something that adults enjoy just because kids like it, too. And so I ran a substitute bill um, that would have um, um, any kid caught with a flavored vaping device, it would have had a tracking number. And then the vape shops would have had to have videotaped the transaction. So it'd be very easy to find the adult. You know, mm -hmm. if some adults out there buying beer for kids, that's that's a crime. And what we charge those adults with crimes. It's also crimes for the kids, but it's also crimes for the adults. And um, we, through some regulation that we have, we've had about 300 uh, specialty tobacco shops open up. Most of them are expected to go out of business with this if this bill passes, because again, uh, the most popular vaping for adults is also flavored vaping. Um, and so I, I'm saying, look at this is great for Nevada and and Idaho and Wyoming. So people just like they do with fireworks and lottery tickets. Now they'll be driving across the border to get their flavored vaping products. Um, so my bill, my, my substitute, we had a half an hour debate. It was the most fun I've had this whole session. But <laughs> I, I knew I knew the votes were locked in and and the bill only got uh, my substitute bill only got four votes. But it, I think I did set up this issue for the House and we might see that same debate in the House, may, possibly with a different result. I had several senators come to me afterwards and say, hey, great job, great arguments. I agreed with you, but I had already committed to voting, you know, yes on the on the <laughs> So, so it passed, I'm guessing. Yeah, it, it passed the Senate, but it hasn't passed the legislature yet. And look at, I want to be clear, 
I don't want teens vaping. I mean, I don't think anybody wants teens vaping. Um, but I don't believe that this is going to stop them from vaping either. So, yeah. All right. Good stuff. Good bills. Okay, All right. Thanks a bunch. See you next week. Thanks. Next week. Bye-bye.